Wizards, Rainmakers, Rockstars, Gorillas, and Guru. WebmasterRadio.fm. Come visit our magical Webmaster Wonderland. We got a mouse, too. Make an impact on your interactive marketing through performance, advertising, community outreach, and technology. Be captivated by the people who are leading the wave of change in the online marketplace. This is who AdTech is. Your weekly radio show. Get behind the scenes with industry giants. Be privy to the insider track. Witness the newest technologies. Make sure you're in the scene each week with AdTech Connect. <clears throat> you're connected now with your host. Welcome to AdTech Connect on WebmasterRadio.fm. This is your host, Dana Todd. Thanks for joining us. I have some exciting guests today. With all the hype this week, have you noticed how crazy it's getting in the, in the Internet video space? So much hype. It's user-generated. It's disintermediated. It's new and improved. It's push while being pull. So many advertisers are hoping that this is more than just a new TV. So we're going to look at this from the advertiser angle today. What's really in it for advertisers? What's the opportunity for brands? And are we at the beginning of an industry that you should be making a long-term investment in? Or is this a trend that's going to pass quickly and maybe come back in a whole new way? So we have three great guests with us today. We have Blair Harrison, the CEO of iFilm, Dana Jones, president of Ultramercial, and Michael Ranieri, who's president of MeV. So we're going to start off with iFilm, and, and Blair Harrison is with us. He's been with iFilm since 2001 before they were acquired for, uh, by Viacom, so we're very excited to have him here today. Before that, he was the uh, CTO of Fast TV, which was the very first, well, one of the very first searchable online video libraries. So welcome, Blair. We're excited to have you today. Thank you, Dana. It's good to be with you. Oh, and you have that lovely accent, too. Oh, my. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, wow, this has been a huge week in, uh, in the online video space, don't you think? It seems like every 20 minutes I'm seeing a press release come out. Um, and and I'm, I got to thinking, iPhone's the granddaddy of video sites. You guys have been around since day one. Doesn't it make you a little bit peeved, a little bit missed that all these YouTube whippersnappers are getting all the attention? I don't, I don't know. Attention comes and goes. And um, iFilm's going to be getting lots of attention in the next few months. So, um, I, you know, our turn will come again. It's, uh, everyone has their moment in the sun. We've certainly had enough of ours in the past, and we're going to have enough in the future. Ah, good. Well, the, the biggest news, I guess, this week is that the networks are coming. Are, are you guys scared? You mean in terms of, of what they're doing online? Yeah, well, they, they have certainly a super brand as far as content is concerned and, and where people go to get premium content. And now with this morning's announcement by NBC, they're going to be jumping in as well. So yeah. are, are they going to be sharing the wealth and, and allowing iFilm to redistribute? Well, that remains to be seen. But, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear from a consumer's perspective that people want, you know, aggregated services across the board, especially in video, seem to be... Um, you know, present a better user experience in the same way that, you know, we don't have different television, don't have different devices at home for watching different television channels. I think ultimately aggregated services like iFilm are going to provide the most compelling service to consumers. So you'll be sort of the, the video portal. They won't have to switch channels. They can just get it all through you. That would be perfect. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully yes. Wouldn't that be nice? 
So, so the whole like YouTube thing, the quality versus quantity. I chat with my friends, and and we talk about this issue. Who's really winning? I mean, you can argue that iFilm, Adam Films, are better quality. It's professionally produced, etc. But yeah. why? Why is everybody so fascinated by America's lamest home videos on YouTube and these other sites, little DIY sites? Well, I, you know, I think everyone's always been been fascinated in in that stuff. I mean, the the, the diff, it's sort of testament to how how well the the network and the web and the, the you know desktop video playing capabilities have evolved. That now people can send links around when they used to send around um, you know video files as attachments to emails. So I don't know if the amount of consumption has actually changed, but the model has certainly changed, and. You know, there's, there's, it's, I think people kind of confuse a couple of different things that people do with, that consumers do with video. I mean, now what's happening is there's a lot of, of you know, videos becoming a sort of messaging, messaging data type in the same way that the text via emails and IM used to be, and, those, and that still are, of course. I mean, there's, there's video for entertainment's sake, but increasingly there's a lot of video being captured and you know, send around basically as a message, as like a, a a video a video message, if you like. And the the utility business surrounding that, which is enabling people to capture that stuff, share it with friends, and post it on their on their blog or MySpace page or whatever. I mean, that's it's pretty much unproven as a as a business. And in the you know, iFilm's been in the in the business of delivering, as you said, high quality content for a long time, and it's a very profitable business. So. You know, we'd love to have, everyone would love to have hundreds of millions of users, but I'd much rather have a, a business that I can make a, a decent amount of money out of. So, well, yeah, definitely, money is good. <laughs> but a lot of people are asking, <laughs> how is all this going to get monetized? Um, and, and the other thing, too, is that considering there are so many knockoff video sites or a lot of, of spin-offs, it doesn't seem like there's an awful lot of patent protection in the video space. So. How do you differentiate a, a new online video property, or, or how do you differentiate iFilm? How, do, how does one find retention models, too, that work? So part of it is standing out from the crowd, and the other part of it is getting people to come back over and over and over with the same sort of unconscious habit that they do with a television switcher. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's, 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 the, it's tricky. You know, as, as video, as it becomes easier and easier to get video everywhere, as sort of, you know, viral video continues to proliferate, differentiating between sites that are aggregating that stuff is going to be increasingly hard. I mean, one of the reasons that when we were looking to grow iFilm, one of the reasons that we teamed up with MTV Networks and Viacom is because we realized quite some time ago that things were heading in the direction of, you know, all the, all the viral and user-generated content being everywhere, that we needed great content. We needed, you know, the best content we could get and access to the, to the sort of deep library that, you know, media companies have, and, and MTV Networks, of course, is, is sort of singular in that regard, that they've got the, what is, is arguably the definitive work of, of um, popular culture for the last 25 years in this country on video. And, mm. you know, it's, it's, a, it's, an enormous, it's an enormous piece of work, and now, um, you know, a lot of that stuff is going to start uh, flowing into iFilm, so... I was going to ask that, you about that because I think it was this week that you made the announcement that MTV is going to be working with mobile providers. Are you guys involved in that as well? Yeah, we've been working with, uh, iFilm's been working with mobile providers for quite some time. We're, uh, we have a channel or a service of some sort on pretty much every mobile video um, channel in, in the U.S. And, you know, now that we have the kind of 
global reach that, that MTV networks can provide. We're cutting a lot of, uh, of X outside the U.S. deals as well to distribute iPhone programming. I think the deal that uh, that was announced this week was that they'd actually secured the rights to distribute some some artists. And there's a lot of talk right now in the music world. There's a big article this month in Wired magazine about Beck and a lot of these other online music art, or excuse me, regular music artists who are kind of taking control of their own intellectual property. The music world seems to be reinventing itself. Musical artists are experimenting with new distribution methods and even the idea of intellectual property. Do you see the same thing happening in video and movies? I mean, the publishers, writing got disintermediated, and, and music labels are definitely losing control of the musicians. So is film next? Are we going to start seeing actors and directors slicing up their intellectual property and licensing it for mashups? Um. I don't know how that ends up. I mean, it's it's pretty clear that there's always going to be a role for the studio in the in the way that there is um, a role for the label. I mean, you know, studios to make television and studios to make movies are always going to have a, a role. I think what happens is we end up, you know, the whole market gets more efficient, and which is great news for certainly for the for the talent, the filmmakers, and so forth. I think what happens is we end up with a, with another layer in there. You know, it'll be possible for a whole new tranche of people to make a business out of making video, whether it's, um, you know, making little home videos or, you know, the kind of lonely girl phenomenon or the sort of things that people can easily produce at, at, at home or with $50 worth of, of software on a, you know, on a desktop computer. And and make a living out of it. At the moment, making a living out of out of making video is tough. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're either making television programming for a broadcast or cable television network, or you know, or something or, or something else. But it's sort of big scale stuff. And I think what's going to happen is a whole new tranche and generation of people are going to be enfranchised to actually make a living out of it, which is which is great for creativity and great for all of us in the business of um, you know of working in that space as well. Well, how is iFilm going to support that DIY market and the the social aspects of video? Well, we don't we don't currently have a uh, a mechanism that uh, explicitly compensates filmmakers. We've you know we've long been in the business of of being a promotional platform for for programmers, but increasingly um, we're cutting deals where we are compensating uh, content providers and. I see in the pretty, in, you know, in the very near future, um, a strong likelihood that we're going to do the same thing for individuals. I mean, we do it now for, you know, for like partners. So um, I don't think it's that far off where we're going to be in the business of, of compensating individuals as well. Hmm. And going back to the whole advertiser perspective here, right now it seems to be limited primarily as an advertising opportunity to pre-roll and banner ads, maybe text links or, or follow-up email, something like that. So it's pretty traditional. There's nothing new there right. under the sun. What are the newer opportunities that you see coming down the pipeline for advertisers, and particularly those that may not be Deep Pockets branders and, and want to participate in, in having the ability to do online video ads without having to spend the megabucks to create major commercials? Well, I think it's, you know, I think that there's opportunities and, and, and challenges for, for advertisers. The opportunity, well, the challenges to get the bad news out of the way, the challenges are um, it's, becoming, it's becoming a lot harder to reach 
um, it's becoming a lot harder to reach people through traditional means and getting people watching uh, while they're watching video online is a, is a huge opportunity but the problem is um, what happens when if you try and convince people to watch you know traditional pre-roll video advertising it's um, it's tough you know that the weight of the weight of watching 30 seconds of video before a five-second clip has proven not to work all the time. And, and the opportunity for advertisers is going to be that now they can get their, their advertising in front of people who actually want to watch it. I mean, we have um, channels of advertising on iPhone, which is one of our most watched channels. People come and you know, watch commercials because it's great programming. I think the opportunity for an advertiser is they put that stuff in front of people and people can choose to watch it, and then you're really connecting with your with your audience. I think that's. I think we're going to see a lot more of that type of advertising, in which we've seen in in search, right? That that sort of thing's been around in sponsored sponsored text search for a long time, and we're going to see the same thing emerge in video. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think a lot of people would interact with ads. I mean, there's a reason why the Super Bowl ads are so popular, but people sort of put on their best dress for that kind of thing. I thought we right. looking for opportunities for the small business market. So if you look at the, the traditional television kind of model, there's an opportunity for, say, a local advertiser to very cheaply work with his local local television station and have an ad produced and run in a you know in a very specific slot. It doesn't cost them, you know, Super Bowl rates to they're not to run during prime time. So I'm wondering if we're going to be seeing this type of opportunity for our smaller or local advertisers in the online space. Right now it seems to be very much dominated by national advertisers. Yeah, I think you know there are, there are two things that need to get solved for that to happen. One is it needs to be inexpensive enough to make video advertising at the local level, whereas you say that, sort of, that the absolute dollar budgets are much, much smaller. And then the logistics and, and mechanics of actually finding, targeting, and serving to a local, um, you know, to a local audience, that has to be done. But as we've seen even this week, some announcements regarding that, that, you know, the latter problem is getting solved rapidly, if not already. And... Um, and the former is, is happening pretty quickly, as we've discussed. You know, it's becoming increasingly easy and inexpensive for people to make video, uh, video in general. And, of course, video advertising is a subset of that. So I think we're going to see an enormous amount more um, video at the local level as, a, as an advertising medium. That's great. I know that a lot of people are very interested in it. So let's take it back to television again. I hate to keep beating this beating this horse, but is TV dead? I mean, if we've all seen the stats about teenage boys turning off the television, they're all going online. So we thought Internet back in the day was going to kill the publishing industry. We thought no one would read books ever again. We thought they'd stop watching television. But it actually ended up driving up the consumption of print. It ended up driving the consumption. What... Are we going to expect the same sort of behavior that people will simply watch more media all the time anywhere? What does that look like? I I think you know I I think what's going to change is is what people mean by TV is going to change. At the moment, it very specifically means broadcast cable and satellite television. And you know, on on one hand, TV is never going away in terms of it being the highest quality video experience available in the home, which. It sort of it still is for for most people, so yeah, you know, that's never going to go away. I think what does happen is, you know, uh, the notion of appointment viewing that changes for most things, right? There'll still be events which everybody wants to watch and have a sort 
sort of shared experience around at the same time. But a lot of what is a lot of traditional television appointment viewing will go away because time shifting is such a is such a trivial thing to do. I mean, I, I have a friend who has a uh, a son, for example, who doesn't understand. He went to a friend's house and and they were watching television and they didn't have a TiVo and he didn't understand that you actually couldn't rewind live television and you couldn't pause it. And, <laughs> And he he was baffled by it. So I think you know the days of, of wow. the days of that are, are pretty much over. Certainly for the next generation. And then I think what happens is you know, where it gets interesting, especially for companies like iFilm, is the discovery problem for people finding programming gets increasingly difficult in a world of of you know thousands of of television stations, however they're delivered. And of course, once we get IPTV, the problem of of you know, if if it's a problem, the the problem of the an enormous amount of of channels and too much choice, if anything, just gets worse. So I think what happens is sort of the the TV 2.0 model starts to emerge, where you've got very sophisticated app applications for discovery. You know, the sort of thing that iFilm is building online. Um, these applications sort of emerging on on television as the way to navigate through this this endless sea of video. And then it gets interesting because then that's where the the web and television really do fuse, and um, we are certainly looking forward to being a, being a part of that and seeing how that plays out. Well, now that, that's sort of the next battle, I think. And one of our later guests today um, is Mevi, who's kind of trying to take on that space as well and help people collect and, and manage their online video content. Well, let's take it to the personal level now. I know you probably watch a ton of online video. So, so confess, what film clips do you have saved that you actually still watch occasionally or bookmark? What, what's some of the funniest or the ones that really uh, you find yourself going back to over and over again? Um, well, I can actually, I'll tell you and now. And porn doesn't I, count, so. <laughs> porn doesn't count, damn. Um, so in my iFilm favorites, and these are the ones I end up using for demos all the time, my favorites are, I have a, a clip called Raging Fred, which is one of the first and best ever mashups. It was actually done by MTV Labs years ago. It's a mashup of, of Raging Bull and the Flintstones. That's one of my one of my all time favorites. Um, I've got that wonderful clip of of the policeman trying to give a um, a lesson to a, a bunch of kids about uh, gun safety who shoots himself in the foot, oh. which was which was the opening clip of Web Junk Twenty, which is our television show with with VH1, and then I have the Neptune's remix of the Rolling Stones doing Sympathy for the Devil. Awesome. Oh, those are my those are my top three. Wow. Do you uh, do you also get? You mentioned a lot of big names too, and openings and VH1 and stuff. So, is there a, a place for you know? Because we're all sort of nerds here in the online space in a way. And I guess there are a lot of people who would have some Hollywood dreams. Do you see that starting <laughs> to merge over? That we now have sort of our our internet superstars merging backwards into into meat space into Hollywood land. Where uh, where is the crossover there? Can we have online stars that are becoming offline stars? Do you mean in terms of talent? Talent it's and notoriety. Who's has anyone crossed over? I mean, there are people certainly who are famous in our space, but has anyone cr- really crossed over into the entertainment space who started out in the amateur online video or, or radio or something space? 
Yeah, I, I think there's been a few. I mean, there's there's certainly some talent on on some of the the MTV network shows. I mean, they've been, you know, everyone sort of forgets that that certainly MTV has been um, in the user generated content business since since 1981. You know, they've been cultivating talent that um, now now we see everywhere on web. But of course, years ago, you had to go and find these people because there was no way to, you know, it was all videotapes and guys working in their in their basements and but now now there have certainly been a few who have made it out of out of the online world and first became popular as um as internet stars you know Andy Milanakis is an example he's someone who has a, a show on um I think MTV for, forgive me if I get that wrong and he was uh he was originally an, an internet phenomenon so yeah I think increasingly that's going to happen it just seems it seems sort of obvious that it will wow Cool. Well, I uh, I guess maybe I hope to be one someday, and I imagine uh, you've got quite this table there as well of, of people who are, are waiting for this convergence to happen. So I do need to wrap up now, um, but, and we have to go to a commercial break, but I wanted to thank you so much for, for being so open and, and telling us all the stuff that's going on. It sounds like you've got some new announcements to watch out for in the next couple of months. We'll be keeping our eyes open for that. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your time, and uh, and thanks for having me on the show. We'll keep our eyes open for you. Thanks very much. So before we break, the next guest up is Dana Jones from Ultramercial. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Sit tight and don't move. Ad Tech Connect. We'll be right back. Now, experience the future of web design and development with a whole new level of efficiency, expressiveness, and simplified workflow. Introducing Studio 8, a compilation of the latest releases from Dreamweaver, Flash Professional, Fireworks, Contribute, and Flash Paper. Sure to inspire you to create superior online video sites and mobile content. And now, through this exclusive WebmasterRadio.fm offer, listeners can save a whopping $100 off Studio 8. Visit the online store at Adobe.com. Or contact Adobe Customer Services and provide promo code Webmaster Radio in order to receive your discount. Studio 8, your way to create. Once a tool used exclusively for communicating with the media, PR Web was the first company to develop a distribution strategy around direct-to-consumer communication by implementing Web 2.0 technologies. PR Web has completed the online communication loop by directly engaging your audience with your news. For example, PR Web is the first newswire to integrate press release trackback. Whether you want to dominate your market or just make a little noise, PR Web is here to help. You thrive in the marketplace and the media. PR Web. Google AdSense. How do I earn from thee? Let me count the ways. Google, you enable me to show targeted ads complementing my site so my visitors keep clicking throughout the day and night. It was so easy to apply and select the ad formats I liked. Since I've discovered AdSense, I've been filled with delight. So earn more with matching ads, and you too can discover how. Just visit google.com slash AdSense now. Oh my god, right, I know, I don't like it. <laughs> Speaking of a girl named Susie. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of a girl named Susie. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the new world, Madonna, Madonna, the hottest woman in the world. You can bounce a quarter off those buns. 
McConnick. Speaking of a girl named Webmasterradio.fm. I always like my name, but now I'm having second thoughts. I'm going to change my name. Blog, blog, blog. Webmasterradio.fm. We're the talk of the town. Webmasterradio.fm. Thanks for listening. Now, back to Ad Tech Connect. Only on Webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host. Welcome back to Ad Tech Connect on webmasterradio.fm. Thanks for joining us today. We are talking about online video. I'm your host, standing in for Susan Bratton. I'm Dana Todd, and I'm the Executive Vice President of SiteLab, which is an interactive boutique agency. So we have yet to really delve into the online video buying space much, and it's something that we have advertisers who are keenly interested in, but it's really a very newish space, even though it's been around for a while. It hasn't been uh, an option for many advertisers. So this seems like this year is really heating up in this space and a lot of new technologies, a lot of new properties. So today's topic is all about online video from the advertiser perspective and all the trends that should really matter to us. Our second guest today is Dana Jones, another Dana. So it's weird. It's like talking to myself, except that you're a guy. Dana is the president and founder of Ultramercial, which is, you know what? I'm going to ask you to explain what Ultramercial does, Dana, because I'll probably do a, a bad job of it. But I wanted to give your background a little bit. You've been in, gosh, media forever. Well, no, not to call attention to age or anything. It seems like, according to the bio sheet I have, you're a third-generation advertising and media professional, and it used to be a DJ on K-Rock. How awesome is that? Uh, that's, uh, that's exactly right, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Um, Ultramercial is a uh, proprietary ad format uh, that we launched four years ago on Salon.com. What our ad unit is, is uh, a choice for viewers to either purchase content online or let the advertiser pay for it. So it's attention for content. The viewer is never forced to watch the ad. In fact, the viewer always starts the ad on their own, drives the ad to completion, and as a reward, they're uh, given any type of intellectual property, and that ranges from music downloads to uh, arts and entertainment news to uh, even airtime minutes at uh, Virgin Mobile. Well, yeah, it seems like Ultramercial is taking the whole idea of pre-roll to a new level, but it is still a gatekeeper. Users agree to engage with it in exchange for the premium content, pre-mobile minutes, whatever the, the trade-off is. And it's, it's actually very similar as a business model, certainly to the early ISPs who used to offer free Internet access in exchange for engaging in advertising or you know, reading emails, things like that. So from a brander's perspective, does this methodology really help in creative and positive brand feelings from users? What kind of engagement are you seeing from users? Are they, are they seeing the content? Are they really um, beginning to form relationships with the advertisers as a, as a result of the engagement? Yes, they are. We change the way that uh, a viewer 
sees an advertiser. Uh, advertising has been an implicit agreement between the viewer and the advertiser uh, throughout the history of ad-supported media. And the Internet is the first time that we're able to make that relationship explicit. The advertiser is paying for everything uh, as far as the content goes, including uh, large salaries to, to actors, to, uh, uh, well, everything. And all they really want is the attention of the viewer. So what we turn this relationship around and make it an explicit relationship, it's a 180-degree turnaround where the advertiser is the good guy. The advertiser is enabling you to get into something you'd normally have to pay for, and you, all you have to do is pay with your time. And these aren't onerous ads. The ads usually run 35 seconds. They can last longer if the viewer has deeper interest. And there's never a question that's asked that's personal in nature. And we find our, well, we have some basic stats. Of those who start ultramercials, uh, this is for Q2 of 06, 75% complete all the way through. Wow. The click-through rate is 7%. Now, I know it's kind of hard to find click-through rates, uh, some firm data, but I know uh, as of last year when when uh, DoubleClick was still making these uh, uh, stats available that rich media was at 1%. So we're at 7%, and our average time of engagement is 49 seconds. And this is across all ads, all sites. Wow. So it is a, a huge win for, for advertisers. Wow. Do you have any specific case studies that you can talk about from any of your advertisers where, where sure. maybe a really sure. unique uh, uh, campaign? Yes, we've been running a year-long campaign with Honda across uh, six or seven sites, across five different badges. Honda's agency, Ruben Poster, very, very smart with the ultra-commercial format. They build in lots of optional interactivity inside of the ad. These can be card games, concentration card games that, that are fun to play, that teach you uh, benefits about the cars. Uh, very interesting. that They do always run a video component might be a 15-second, maybe a 30, and then there's always an activity. And because they reach out and ask for the engagement of the viewer, the viewer, guess what? They, they give that attention. So we've seen throughout this campaign a click-through rate of 13%. Our hmm. average is 7, which is already high. But for the last 10 months, we've had a consistent 13% click-through rate. The interactivity rate, people who do something inside the ad, and I'm not talking about mousing over something, I'm talking about clicking and doing something, is at 29%. Now, I know this sounds like, oh, this can't be real, it can't be right. It, it is. This ad asks people to engage, and they're driving the ad. They can push through to the end, or they can choose to learn more, and when the ad is fun, and RPA is great at building fun ads, then that's what happens with the audience. I hear a lot of people saying that the statistics like that are, are, are seem to be leaning toward the bigger brands who can afford better advertising, that we should, rather than, than being discouraged by our own efforts, attempt to make better advertising out there, that people are hungry for it. They just We have so much bad advertising out there. So really, advertising on, on the TV isn't dead, just bad advertising in general has the opportunity to now be killed selectively by viewers. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Well, well ads, yeah, ads have been a one-way monologue. Uh, with a television spot, you can't have any feedback. 
only the Internet's allowed us to do this. And, you know, there's some ability for some kinds of feedback in the digital cable television, but nothing like what's available on the Internet. So we're seeing a, a whole new way to communicate, which is truly a dialogue rather than a monologue. And that requires new ways of thinking about communicating. One of the things that you offer, I mean, we've been talking earlier about monetization models. So, in a sense, ultramercial is a monetization uh, opportunity for for companies that have uh, content on their video content or even video producers, people who are in the the position of, of making and distributing content. How much money can they really make from a product like yours or any of the other sort of pre-roll things? Do users work that hard for? Well, you already talked about the the interactivity on it, but it, and that's pretty high, but. From the from the sell side now, how much money can you make by monetizing your content? Well, it's a tough question to answer, only because, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, the same ad unit goes for vastly different amounts of money depending on what the content that's associated with, what is the supply and demand at any given time. What I can say, and I'm not trying to dodge this question, I can actually give you some dollar amounts, but uh, with our publisher partners, it is the highest revenue bearing ad unit that they have. That's in every case. The street price is somewhere around 15 cents a play, a completion. That could equate to $150 CPM. Many times the ad buyers balk at that price. They're used to buying media at anywhere from a couple of dollars, a thousand for banner ads to uh, a rich media experience, uh, maybe 35 to fifty dollars, so we're way out there at one fifty. So we package this often with uh, other uh, traffic drivers that tell a user that there is premium content and wrap it in a sponsorship. And with that, we're able to bring down to an effective CPM of of thirty or forty dollars. But the ultramercial unit by itself, if it was stripped away, it, it's right around that price. Hmm, wow, that, that's probably an average. That actually brings up a good point. You talked about the fact that it's uh, in most of the places where ultramercials are running, it's not all of the content that, that has an ultramercial on it. So should all of the video on the, on the Internet be monetized? I mean, I have this kind of fear that I'm going to start having to watch a, 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 an, a, an ad on every single crappy YouTube video because there's, I mean, there's definitely a point, a line in the sand between content that should be monetized and content that shouldn't be monetized. How do advertisers prevent their ads from being shown on on terrible, uh, com- terrible content? <laughs> well, I, I agree about YouTube. Uh, I think YouTube is actually very compelling. We've spent a lot of time there looking at videos, and yeah, a lot of it's uh, the only people who watch it are the people who made it. Oh, not Uh, not true. I was watching the whole Lonely Girl debacle for quite some time. (laughs) Uh, That okay, but that's isn't that a great way to get hooked in? It is. Uh, You look at that those videos, and Lonely Girl fifteen is is an actress, and it's pretty obvious to that right from the get go. But I think. I think that's a brilliant way to explore new ways to create uh, content. And so I, I applaud uh, that band of uh, folks out there putting that stuff together. Uh, would someone watch an ad to watch the next little one-minute segment of that girl talking into the camera? I doubt it. Uh, what could be out there is aggregated content in which you watch one 
monetizing commercial that pays for all this content. And, of course, it's very upfront with our model. You're, you're given a choice. This content costs money to make, even if we're just hosting it. They're bandwidth costs. Oh, yeah. I also like the Rever model where uh, the advertising revenue is, it goes back to the content owners. And uh, YouTube's not part of that. So it's hard to say. Uh, I think the marketplace will find its, uh, its natural level of, of where, how many ads for how many pieces of content. In the long form, uh, half-hour, one-hour television shows, we've already found what that is about. And I think that's a pretty good model. Let's switch. We talked earlier in the earlier segment about mobile uh, video, and, and I'm, I'm ancient, it seems like, in the Internet space. Not, not quite as much media experience as you, but certainly in the Internet space. I remember the old Internet video when we called it streaming video, and it failed six years ago because of the bandwidth issues. But now, obviously, we've got more than half of Internet users with broadband. We're starting to see video being consumed at reasonably healthy rates online, although, frankly, it's still a bit painful at times, depending on how my, brand, my bandwidth is delivering. So now I'm seeing all these ads and all this hype about mobile. They're touting their video. I'm going to be able to watch my soap opera on my cell phone. And to be honest, I can barely keep a signal in New York City. And when I do my, I use little cabbie surveys when I'm in a cab. I always ask the cab driver, you know, some, what search engine do you use? And do you watch a video on yours? See, I get very little nods of ascension saying, yes, I do. In fact, actually, I've got a zero now of people who have actually watched a video on their cell phone that wasn't one that they took themselves. So are we going to have to wait another six years for mobile streaming video to, to become viable? Well, there are two new generations of phones that are coming out, and they both uh, do handle a lot more bandwidth than the, the current set. Uh, well, I think the phone. we're it's probably still carrier. two years away. Yeah. Pardon you, me? You said two years. I said, well, it's the carriers, too. It seems to be a combination. Oh, it is all the carriers. No, this is infrastructure and, and the handsets themselves. Uh, we're building now some some units to run on phones. By the way, with Virgin Mobile, they they surveyed their users. They didn't want to watch ads for minutes on their phones. They wanted to do it on the Internet. And so that's where uh, our sugar mama model is running is, is on the internet we do have a sms text message uh component to that and but that's it so we do have to, some demand though and we've been getting a lot of interest from advertisers and from some content people who want to push their content onto phones the what we're finding though is that maybe there's only five to ten percent of the phones out there that could handle a video stream it, this is a problem um, maybe we're going to go through a pre-caching kind of model like we did uh, uh, five years ago when nobody had broadband, uh, that that'll happen on the phone. It's hard to say. The demand is certainly there all the way around. The users would love to have this. Uh, the advertisers would love to have it. Uh, but users are, whoa, you know, you read any of the of the studies that are out there, uh, nobody wants an ad that they didn't ask for. Well, yeah especially if you're trying to make a phone call. <laughs> well, you mentioned the, yeah. uh, the sugar mama, and that's actually pretty interesting. I, I haven't heard of anybody else doing that. And if I understand it correctly, it's a deal that you have with Virgin Mobile where people who are Virgin subscribers can earn free cell minutes by agreeing to watch advertising online. 
So that's a pretty nifty, and it's a crossover, like you said. It, it crosses both, both devices. What other new things are coming down the pipeline for you guys? I think there's a huge opportunity right on the horizon with peer-to-peer. Uh, I went to a, actually spoke at a peer-to-peer conference in Washington in June, like met some Bitcoin. people there. This, this industry has legs, and it's all the major players uh, look for ad-supported free downloads of music and TV shows and movies uh, coming to a peer-to-peer client near you. Uh, as early as uh, the last quarter of this year. This is big. This has huge potential to revolutionize. It's, it's uh, all of Sean Fanning's dreams come true with a legalized model. <laughs> okay. So like companies like BitTorrent involved in that? Cause I think aren't they a peer-to-peer video? Uh, absolutely. Like uh, hmm. And there are several BitTorrent clients out there. Uh, but the main part of this is that the, the content side of this, the record companies, the movie studios, and the television, the, the studios that own the television shows, are all looking for ways in which to make this a legal, viable, advertising-based business. Wow. One of the biggest roadblocks to bringing content online, that kind of content, is, are the bandwidth costs. So that's where peer-to-peer solves this huge financial problem. Awesome. And if if it can be DRM'd correctly, and if the advertisers can be uh, interchangeable inside of this, so it, it isn't a one ad wedded to a piece of content that never changes for year over year, then we've got a model that that could really hold up. And I think it's uh, that's where the uh, a huge opportunity lies right now. Amazing. Well, that sounds cool. I'll keep my uh, keep my eyes peeled for that one. There's just never a dull moment in this space, is there? We're going to wrap up now. You know, it, I, it, oh, go it, ahead. It, yeah, it really feels to me like we're heating up to 1999 again. Uh, Boiling point. But this time with wisdom. With wisdom, yes, and a business model, <laughs> besides just eyeballs and stickiness. Well, Dana Jones, I wanted to thank right. you very much for being on our program today. We've uh, really enjoyed talking talking with you about Ultramarshall. Thank you very much, Dana. Much appreciated. Thank you. We're going to take a commercial break now, but we will be back. Our last guest of the day is Michael Ranieri from Measy, which is a mashup of TV Guide, YouTube, RSS, and the whole works. It sounds very interesting. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Sit tight and don't move. Ad Tech Connect. We'll be right back. Want a hot pod? Load it with webmasterradio.fm and play with us all day long. Attend the Public Relations Event of the Year, the 2006 PRSA International Conference, benchmarking your public relations strategies with the best. Conference registration gets you insider access to dynamic speakers and unparalleled strategies and networking events. Register at PRSA.org to receive a $100 early bird discount off your registration. Qualified non-members will receive a bonus one-year PRSA membership. Visit PRSA.org for details. WebmasterRadio.fm, the official radio network of the 2006 PRSA International Conference. 
Wow, looks like you caught another one. Yeah, thanks. That uh, makes 23 so far. You're kidding me. I haven't caught a thing yet. Really? Well, what kind of bait are you using? Same as you. Well, then maybe it's where you're fishing. What do you mean? Well, if you want to catch fish, don't throw your line out in the middle of a big lake. Take a smart look around for where the fish congregate, like over by this log. So I just have to look smart, huh? That's right. It's all about fishing where the fish are. Learn how you can fish where the fish are. Go to signup.looksmart.com. Signup.looksmart.com. choose the right affiliate program to partner with? Hey, all we're trying to do is make the most money in the least amount of time. The answer is simple. JoeBucks.com, the world's leading herbal affiliate program. JoeBucks.com is the direct manufacturer, so there's no middleman. This will allow you to make up to 50% the highest payouts on the net and also get paid twice a month. Sign up today and watch your income grow. JoeBucks.com. Hello. <laughs> I just got a little uh, IM that said keep my energy up, so every so often I'll just scream something out. <laughs> okay, well, let me know if you want me to scream back. <laughs> you know, I guess there's a happy medium I have to find. <laughs> Maybe I should have a cocktail before the show starts. Well, that's an idea. And advise my guests to do the same. (laughs) Get totally hooked on The Hook with Katie Kepner. Every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Only on webmasterradio.fm. You have arrived at the destination for education and entertainment. Webmasterradio.fm. Because not everyone's last name is... Now, back to AdTech Connect, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host. Welcome back. I'm your hostess, Dana Todd. Thank you for joining us today on AdTech Connect on webmasterradio.fm. We are talking about online video, which is just getting hot, hot, hot right now. There's so much going on, I can't even keep the press releases straight. So we're looking at this today from the advertiser standpoint and trying to figure out what are the real opportunities there for, for targeting people. So it's all kind of neat, and we all love to consume video online, offline, everywhere. But where are the real opportunities for advertisers? So my last guest today is Michael Ranieri, the CEO of MeV, which is, uh, wow, it, it's a really interesting business model. And the more I look at it, Michael, I'm like, oh, there's definitely some cool ideas there. I film was on earlier, and they talked about the the problem of having too many channels per se is that there's not really one place to go that's like a a TV portal, your starting point for really managing all of the online content out there. So maybe seems to be approaching that space. How did your company come about? What makes you think this is a great idea? Well, hi, Dana. Um, you know, you just said a lot of it. Uh, the content volume has exploded on the Internet, and um, people have been talking about convergence of TV and Internet video for a long time. But when you see YouTube is the 16th most traffic site now, thousands of uh, pieces of content on what I call alcoves of content, like iFilm from your previous guest or Akimbo, studios and networks beginning to make their libraries available, um, 
primetime shows playing over the Internet, consumers are getting overwhelmed. And what the need seems to be or what they're asking for is a way to sift through the clutter and be able to find the content that they like and not have to do it reactively. The, the surfing metaphor kind of has broken down. Wow. So that means then that there's another battle for this, because in the same way that there was a search engine battle to be the starting point for all of the, uh, the print uh, on the Internet to be able to manage that, it seems like this is a new battle to, battle to the death, do you think? I think so, because you know, the same piece of content can be seen over television or traditional television cable satellite, uh, downloaded, uh, streamed. And what the need is is a search and discovery experience that you can you know go out and find this content. Where I think we're particularly special is not a reactive search or not a browse like you browse in a grid or search like you search in an engine, but creating a profile, almost a personal cloud of the types of content you like, the TV shows you like, the actors you like. And we prospectively go out and find that content for you, roll it up into your personal channel um, as a filter. So how's that different than RSS? Because people can already do that now. Um, yeah, they can, but a lot of the content feeds uh, aren't publicly available, so you're talking about uh, creating deals to pull that content together, TV-oriented um, content, uh, and the times that they're on, and, and the metadata around that TV isn't necessarily publicly available. That's um, basically searched through feeds, and no one has it in all in one place. Ah. Now, your background is more on the financial side of things. You came from Charles Schwab, and before that, gosh, I mean, you're, you're not really an outsider because at Charles Schwab you were the senior vice president of e-commerce there, and you certainly have been all over the space from a financial aspect for, mm -hmm. what, 18 years, something like that? Quite yeah, and, um, financial services was the industry, but really my expertise is around um, creating electronic consumer experiences for users to, to have access to data they never had before. There was a huge disruption in financial services through the 90s. The same thing is happening in digital media today. The way content, whether music, video, or photo, is being created, distributed, managed in the home, um, the industry is in disruption and the old business models are, are in question, and um, it's usually an opportunity. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of new announcements going on. And it, in the Internet space, technology patents are, are sort of the, the – you hear people talking about their patents, and mm -hmm. they seem to be almost currency in technology land. But truly the real value of companies is in their partnerships, and particularly with major properties. So now there's that big Google MySpace deal for that property. Uh, there's a lot of uh, the uh, – matchups between like Viacom and some of the other providers. Are those still a big deal to be had out there? Are there any new big deals to be had? Who's doing them? What new partnerships have you guys announced recently or hopefully are going to be announcing? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think you'll see more deals like the MySpace, Google, however, probably not as rich of a deal. It, companies have been burned by deals like this before. It reminds me, actually, back in the 90s of, in the brokerage days where MSN and AOL were charging big dollars for buttons on their sites for, for relevant you know, mid-tier properties like brokerage firms. And I can tell you from experience, they didn't really pay out. But I think um, smarter, more, uh, smarter, more interactive deals, the one that we announced recently was with Hearst Papers to power their TV and media sections within their newspaper portals. Um, and there will be more deals like that because a big part of our business model is to syndicate what we have on media.com to, to other portals. 
Well, what didn't I was at Blinks, I believe, that did a deal with TiVo. And mm-hmm. there's, so where I think the most exciting for the whole video thing would be kit devices or something. I know there's, right now we're sort of limited to set-top, but uh, the whole ITV announcement is pretty exciting. Are you guys looking forward to that? And what does that really do for your industry, or is it all just sort of vaporware? Well, I, I don't think it's vaporware, but there's definitely a dogfight out, out there for, you know, how content is managed in the home. You know, if you believe that there's a central repository for digital media in your home where your music, your video, your photos are served up to devices like your TV on the wall or your, or your uh, stereo in the, in the stereo closet, um, what's that central repository going to be? It could be a set-top box. It could be a TiVo. It could be your media center PC. No one really knows. Where we want to stay is at the search and discovery UI level and be as close to the user as possible and help them find the content that they're interested in and then try to work with as many players as possible. The beauty is you don't have to be on those devices anymore. Now, with you know, their network appliances, you can communicate with them. Oh. Well, what are some of the monetization strategies out there that you've seen? Which ones appeal to you the most that you think are actually viable? And which ones just meh, don't really seem to be a good idea in the long run? Well, um, you know, the ones that we're focusing on, obviously, are the advertising model, but in a very targeted way, using targeting video techniques, not only based on demographics, but geography. I mean, you mentioned it earlier in your segment, uh, Nirvana, is to be able to provide targeted video advertisers in local markets. I think that's a very lucrative business model. Um, contextually, commerce or being able to merchandise in context, I think, um, has some legs. Those are, those are my two favorites. Um, I don't think monetizing you to generated content is going to be a business model that survives. Oh, really? Ooh, that's exciting. Well, now, yeah, you guys actually allow advertisers to target specific users against shows and genres. And How is that any different than just doing a TV buy now against a show? I mean, you can already do that. What's different about your model where it's targeting at show, show usage? Um, well, it's, it, let's, let's expand the definition beyond show. It's targeting content. But right now, it's predominantly television. DVRs, you know, the technology allows people to skip through the commercials. Everyone's been talking that for a while. And consumers have pretty much spoken. A growing number of people want to watch shows when they want to watch it. And, oh, by the way, don't want to be marketed to while they're doing it. What we offer is the ability to target the same demographics and uh, advertise around the same type of content earlier in, in upstream, at the point where people are dis- searching and discovering for that content at a much lower CPM. The, the CPMs on television are getting very, very expensive. So advertisers kind of like the idea that, okay, I can target the same audience that are watching big sports events or very popular TV shows, but at the time they're looking to see when they're on or uh, looking about information of their favorite actor. And it's a, it's a, it's a pitch that's kind of resonated with uh, a lot of the advertisers. So the idea being that you can build a more robust profile of, uh, of users and, and match it up to their content viewing habits? Exactly. Not only you know what DMA they're in or what geography they live in, what content they watch, but I might be watching NFL and I'm an avid tennis player and the next guy might be a, golf, a golfer and they could get different inventory. Oh, that's true. Well, so you probably serve a lot of different kinds of media. There's uh, Right now, I mentioned this earlier, it seems like there, there haven't been too many new inventions in the ad unit. What types of media seem to perform better in your experience on your, uh, your channel, as it were, on your, your venue? Is it pre-roll? What's performing well? 
Well, I have found that the gatekeeping concept um, is just trying to duplicate what's happening on television and I think doesn't work on the Internet. By far, I think the combination of banners with video upon entry into a page, not necessarily pre-roll, but upon entry into a page that is the result of the user taking some kind of action, what is on that page is the result they expect, and the brand message is relevant to the content on the page. That's the most powerful combination. So you think of a leaderboard, a video playing for a brand message around relevant to the content that the user has asked for. Hmm. What about advert gaming or the more immersive experiences? Do you see anybody yet really pushing the creative edge and maybe creating a whole campaign around their own content that maybe deeply involves people in a storyline? So say we have a reality TV show, we're piping it online, but we have a a built-in, like a, a side room where you actually have product placement to interact with the characters and things like that. Product placement seems to be an area that's it's around in the online space but isn't seem to be doing as much than we as much as we see on say Hollywood. You know, frankly I, I I've haven't seen very much of it. It's an emerging um, thing that's happening, but when you're talking to the, inter- the interactive agencies, they're kind of going back to recency and frequency and thinking about a campaign from the terms of, okay, I'm advertising on television, in print, and on the Internet. I want my message to family, and I want to get as many impressions as I can you know, to move this campaign forward. And I haven't seen them discuss that in, in the mix. Hmm. I mean, if something like that were possible to create more immersive room experience, I mean, they think it, it seems like all the rules are off right now, that anything goes in the online space. You can break the barriers. You don't have to just look at traditional banner Absolutely. buys and things. Absolutely. I think it's you know going to be trial and error. Um, somebody will strike a chord and be very successful for doing that. Um, just haven't seen very much of it yet. Well, I know those are some new opportunities, too, to embed like these hot spots inside the content where you can be watching, I think somebody shows the Six in the City video, and you can click on the cardigan and buy it right there. Do you see that really taking off? Do you see users touching their content? I don't know. I don't touch my content. When it rolls, I'm not interacting with it. I'm very passive. <laughs> There's a couple of models out there um, that are kind of building companies around that concept, Glam and uh, a few others. And uh, I, I think users are interested. Um, they'll click. I don't know if much commerce is happening yet, but I certainly think going forward that's, that's the way. That's what I'm referring to as contextually commerce, to literally merchandise around the content. Um, uh, very similar to a kind of an affiliate marketing program. So whatever merchandise the actors are, say, in our example, the actors or actresses are wearing in clothes or or merchandise you see on the set to be able to purchase that with one click. Um, I think it's a behavioral change. People will need to get used to it. Hmm. Maybe we also need different devices. It seems to me that people have a tendency to interact more with screens when they know they're touchable. And I know the whole tablet market is starting to take off now. So it seems to me that there is a, a hardware and, and the infrastructure plays a big part in the success of this industry. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of players in the place. You know, what's what's interesting to me is what is Cisco with their acquisition of Scientific Atlantic and their Linksys implementation implementation do in the home? You know, how do they make that easier for folks? Um, you know, TiVo is very aggressive in the space. Uh, that's the dogfight. Who's who's going to be that central repository in the home that manages this video? And with ITV's announcement the other day, you know, there's certainly going to be a player too. 
Yeah, well, and, and actually Microsoft did earlier this year when they talked, and you, and you mentioned it, the, the Media Center PCs, with their whole Windows Live platform, the promise is that all of your uh, devices will talk to each other through this central box, and, and you'll be able to have all content all the time anywhere you are, that you can store your home uh, your home videos or your or your doesn't matter what kind of content on a, a box far, far away, and then just stream it into your hotel room somewhere. I know that there's right. another one called Slingbox too. That's right. Should we, at some point, just throw all these big, giant, clunky set-top boxes away and, and start focusing more on video? Do you think we're hurting ourselves as an industry by trying to do too many things at once? Um, yeah, I think it's the natural evolution of things. Though people, that's an example of uh, an industry in disruption and people holding on to old business models. I personally think nirvana is I shouldn't care. I shouldn't subscribe to cable or know that Desperate Housewives is an ABC show. I want to subscribe to content. I want to subscribe to the show Sopranos, the show Desperate Housewives, and maybe a show that bubbles up like, you know, from YouTube like Lonely Girl and have that content delivered to me proactively. And then I can decide what to do with it. I can watch it in a 10-foot experience on my plasma. I can watch it on my PC, or I can take it with me and watch it on my video iPod. That's Nirvana. It's going to kind of take a long time to get there, I think. And all the boxes kind of uh, go away, and we kind of consolidate to maybe one or two. Well, earlier on this segment, uh, we talked about the idea that there was, uh, I think it was Blair said that his son went to a friend's house and was really perplexed by the idea that you actually had to wait for a TV show and you couldn't control it and rewind and things like that. So is prime time dead? Is, is there no longer a time slot? And, and if so, how do we organize the content? How do you expose people to new content? Because you said the content's going to drive the audience, but frankly, there's a lot out there. How do, we, how do we figure out what to watch, and how do you not cut yourself off from new things to be exposed to, new happy accidents? Well, exactly. So I think what's required is a virtual integrator of content, and that's kind of where, we, where Mevi comes in. So basically creating a profile of category keywords and attributes or descriptors of the kind of content you like, everything from identifying specific shows that you know you already like to actors that you like to attributes of activities you engage in like sailing or skiing and have an engine like ours go out and prospectively find what's available and bring it to your attention so you discover something you never knew existed because it's so spread out, so disintermediated, you'd never be able to search reactively uh, and find the things that might interest you now. So it's almost like a, an Amazon thing. Well, speaking of Amazon, are they getting into this, or do, is it uh, something you can tell us about? I mean, they have a little, very it's a little robust different. We, have, we actually, you, you referred to patents earlier. We have a, a patent on this concept, and what Amazon does is a little different. You know, basically, um, collaborative filtering. You're interested in this thing. You might be interested in this other because other people are too. Ours is really more based on this explicit inputs from a user. Tell us specifically what you like and then improve on it based on what we present to you um, and presenting, presenting content in that way. Mm. So I asked this question earlier of Blair. I asked him about film clubs, but I'm going to ask you, what's on your Mevi? <laughs> you obviously um, have your own Mevi channel set or Mevi, uh, what do you call that thing, just Mevi? It's your Mevi guide. Uh-huh. Um, what I'm more interested in, I think the YouTube phenomenon is an incredible... Um, incredible opportunity for unfettered journalism. And so 
I'm very interested in what's happening in the world or what's happening in Iraq. So having a cloud that you know is Iraq or some other keywords like that and be able to see home videos that are happening on the ground in, in foreign countries in Iraq has just been fascinating to me. So it's not your typical um, viral videos that are flying around. It's, it's seeing something through the eyes of someone on the ground and getting a, a local perspective versus what the media presents us. I think that's the real special sauce of, of what's happening in user-generated content. So media searches, everything, user-generated and, and national, it's sort of the whole gamut? Well, let's be clear. That's our roadmap right now. It's predominantly uh, professional content on television and and what we call internet television, uh, internet streams of television. So we have about a thousand channels worldwide of television content that are made available publicly streamed, and uh, guidance around finding those. But going forward, certainly that that's our direction. Wow, that's pretty cool. So what else? You yeah. watch politics or, or Iraq-based things? What else do you have on your MeV? <laughs> um, well, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, what you would expect on television, The Sopranos, Rescue Me, um, <laughs> those those types of drama shows. Well, speaking of, do you think there's going to be super premiums? I mean, HBO is uh, what I would consider a super premium cable channel. It Absolutely. costs more than your average cable, and there's, uh, they really pioneered that whole genre and created content that was so good it was it was absolutely worth even buying the basic package just so you could step up to that level. Do That's you right. see anybody taking that role in the online space? I certainly do. Um, I don't see anyone specifically, but I do see kind of mid-tier TV production companies uh, spinning up because for the first time, the, the distribution model and the economics seem to exist. So there's no more uh, need to pitch content to a, a TV network and have it be funded by them. Uh, a smaller amount of money can seed a concept and then produce it directly right over the Internet. And I'm seeing more and more folks um, talk about that. I haven't seen it work quite yet, but it's definitely coming. Wow. We look forward to that. We're coming to an end now. I want to thank you so much for being on our show, Michael Ranieri of MeV. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. We'll be keeping an eye on your company as well. So many things happening in this space. We want to thank you, our get, our get, all of our guests today, Blair Harrison, Dana Jones, and Michael Ranieri. And uh, we will see you, the audience, next week on Ad Tech Connect at webmasterradio.fm. Learning how to monetize your domains, zero dollars. Listening to affiliate marketing tips on your iPod, zero dollars. Getting the latest search news on your cell phone, zero dollars. Listening to Dave N. talk about garlic breath, well, worthless. Webmasterradio.fm, we're everywhere.